Let's pray together. Instruct our hearts and minds now, Lord, through your word. We thank you that your word permeates the music, your prayers, the prayers, Lord, even the fellowship. Now may your your spirit's counsel permeate our hearts and minds through the preaching of your word. Even through me as your servant, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, I wanted to return to the passage that we left. I didn't really have an opportunity to get into it deeply. I want to get into it a little bit more deeply today. So the last time we were here in Revelation 1, we were looking at the earthly perspective in which John is subject to Roman rule as an exiled prisoner on the island of Patmos. Uh, When we think about the earthly perspective, it... uh, It reminds us of the idea that life is pain, life is trouble. And if this life, if this world is all that you have, what kind of trouble do you really have in this life? It is a difficult matter. For John on the island of Patmos and the persecuted church throughout the world at this time under the... uh, the threat, constant threat of the Caesars. God gives John a heavenly perspective to share with the church of Christ, with the body of Christ. He takes his view off of the earthly perspective of his suffering and his his incarceration. And he puts his view into the heavens to see who really is in charge and what his status really is in light of eternity, not just in time, but in light of eternity. So John is in the spirit when he beholds the power of the risen Lord Jesus and the glory of heaven. Uh, We agree with the Apostle Paul that uh, we don't know how this takes place, that the only one who understands this process is God himself. Uh, Moreover, only God knows the glory of his creation as he has made it. Uh, this past week, a thunderstorm rolled by through by our house, and I was enjoying the opportunity of hearing the thunder just roll through the sky. I just love that sound. And I know the reality of it. I know that it's actually lightning that's streaking through the sky, and it's uh, discharging atmospheric electricity, but the expression of that electric discharge in the atmosphere is thunder. That deep, powerful sound that rolls through the heavens and vibrates your windows. In my appreciation, I was contemplating how lightning and thunder are an expression of God's glory in this world. It's even an expression of the glory of this world. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 regarding the different glories of earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. And I want you to see this as kind of a primer, as, as as a preparatory perspective going into Revelation chapter 1 as John beholds the risen Lord. As he beholds the Lord of glory, the author of life. That there are different glories when you talk about the heavenly bodies. 
the heavenly body we will have someday as a resurrected body and our earthly bodies here in this world. Uh, if you would like, please turn to 1 Corinthians 15. The main verses I want to look at to prepare us as we look again at the glory of the risen Christ uh, in Revelation 1 is, is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 38 through 41. 38 through 41. Paul writes, but God gives it, he's talking about a seed, you know, the, the seed goes into the ground and it, and it brings forth a new body, a new type of life from it. The old passes away and the new comes forth. So he, Paul says, uh, God gives it a seed, a body, as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. All flesh is not the same. <clears throat> Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, a heavenly radiant type of body, and another glory of the moon, an earthly non-radiant type of body, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. The differences in glory and type or purpose are assigned to these celestial bodies and the terrestrial bodies and the heavenly bodies by God, by His glory, by His power. This, the glory of this world and the different types of bodies that inhabit it are transient, temporary. Even kingdoms rise and fall. You think of the glory of Rome. Rome at one time during the, the life, the, the, the mission of Christ Jesus when he was incarnated in the flesh and came here to uh, uh, become a, a sacrifice for our sin. When, when Jesus entered into this world during his ministry and even the, the time of the early church with his apostles afterwards, uh, Rome was the mightiest empire on the earth. And yet what is Rome today? Rome is the capital of a struggling nation being just a fraction of the size of its, it formerly was as an empire. There is always the ebb and flow of life and death in this world. And you are born to eventually die. But John is beholding the power and glory of the author of life in his heavenly eternal glory. John is not beholding the author of transient life, but the author of eternal life, who entered into history through incarnation, died on a cross for our sin, and conquered death, rising from the grave in a resurrected body. You will see this in verse 18 here in a bit. As the risen Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. It is this victorious life that Jesus offers to all who place their faith and trust in Him. Let's look at God's Word. Revelation 1, verses 12 through 18. John writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, 
and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The first thing I want you to see is John's posture before the risen Lord. What is his posture? He is on his face. The life has rushed out of his body. His strength is gone. It is as if he were dying in the very presence of the author of life. Verse 17 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is also Daniel's response in Daniel chapter 10, verses 8 through 20. When he comes before the angel of the Lord who reveals God's glory or shows forth God's glory and holiness. Daniel writes in verses 8 and 9, he says, so I was left alone Gazing at the great vision, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking as I listened to him. I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. This is actually a theme, a pattern through Scripture. For those who encounter the holiness and glory of God, recognizing their sinful status before him. Whether it's Adam and Eve trying to hide from God in the world because they, they know that they are uh, guilty before him of breaking his law and they are ashamed and they are trying to hide from his presence in Genesis 3. Or Abraham receiving a vision from the Lord in Genesis 15 where God would establish a covenant with him. Verse 12 says, Genesis 15:12 says, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. The prophet Isaiah describes seeing a vision of the Lord Almighty in chapter 6 of, that, of the book with his name which the, uh, in which the voices of the seraphs calling to one another shook the doorposts and thresholds of the temple as they proclaimed, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah's response was to cry out, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In all these situations, there is the utterly overwhelming sense of dread as you realize you are in the presence of the Almighty, the Holy God. This is the fear that strikes at the heart of those who have beheld the glory of the Almighty. And yet how perplexing it must be to them when they look around and they see those around them cavalierly mocking and deriding God with their lips, with their voices. 
you would ask the question, how can they be so foolish? Well, they do not know. They do not know who God is. They are ignorant. They have not beheld God's glory. They do not understand God's glory. They don't see it. Sin not only dulls their understanding, but blinds their eyes. You look at that very same passage in Isaiah 6. God says to Isaiah in verse 9 following, Tell this people, as, as Isaiah offers to go back to them and, and give them the prophecy that God gives to him. God says, tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is a sober reminder that we do not come to God through our own efforts. Because of our sinful hearts, we do not listen to God's word that we may understand His will or perceive His glory in creation as the seraphs proclaim that the whole earth is filled with His glory. Yet because of our sinful hearts, we cannot see it. We cannot perceive it that which we look at every day when we wake in the morning. Sin dulls and even blinds our ability to heed God's word and behold His glory. No, in every case aforementioned, it is God who restores the one who is bowed down before Him in fear as this individual knows that the only one who can save him is also his judge. The only one who can save him is also his judge. That's true for you and me as well. The only one who can save us is also our judge. Thus you've heard of the statement, saved by grace. Saved by grace. You are not saved by what you have done, but by what God has done for you through his son Jesus Christ. This is grace, undeserved favor. Look at the rest of verse 17, moving into verse 18 in Revelation 1. Then he, the risen Lord Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the eternal king who holds all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the only one who has the power and the authority to restore us to God. There is no other way. There is no other being in existence who can do this save for Christ Jesus. So look at how John describes the risen Lord Jesus in his heavenly glory. His whole person is radiant, but especially his face, which is shining like the full radiance of the sun, the sun at its brightest potential. As you look at verse 13, you see the high king of heaven is dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Uh, You may remember the Greek word for this robe is poderes, which simply means down to his feet. It is an image of Christ's righteousness. His perfect righteousness. Gold is pure and and it's eternal. 
And then the white robe is purity. It's a symbol of the, of the eternal righteousness of Christ. And that is what he offers those who place their faith in him. This everlasting righteousness so that you do not have to worry about not being right with God throughout all eternity. Man, I love that. When I think about how easy it is to sin in this life, it's almost like breathing. And that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, so when God looks upon me, He sees the perfect holiness of His Son. The eternal holiness of His Son. That shows that I am kept by His righteousness, not only in this life, but throughout all eternity in glory with Him. There's also the threefold office of Christ represented in this robe because this type of robe would have been worn by the high priest as he entered into the presence of God. It is also the type of robe that would be worn by royalty, by the king. And in Daniel 10, verse 5, this is the robe worn by the messenger of God. Hence, when you trace the origin of origins of John's thought into the Old Testament, you see that Christ Jesus is uh, revealing to John his eternal threefold office, offices of prophet, priest, and king. As Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, to match these with these offices, uh, the, the office of truth matches up with the office of prophet. Uh, Jesus, when he says he is the way, matches up with his office as high priest. The high priest is the one who mediates between us and God. The whole letter to the Hebrews covers this alone, where uh, we come to God through the high priest offering up the sacrifice for our sins to make us pure in God's sight. And lastly is the kingly office, which is the life, meaning that no, no one may receive the life from God but through the authority of the high king of heaven, who is Jesus Christ. In other words, no one comes to the Father but through Jesus, but through him. Now here's where I want to revisit also the titles of God in the Old Testament to look at who Christ is. These are important themes here that are established by imagery, by who Christ is. This is in verses 14 through 16. Uh, we understand that Jesus, this Jesus, the risen Lord, has been given all authority initially. This is the first image. All authority in heaven and on earth. And again, he will be either your judge or your savior. Verse 14 says, The head and hair of the risen Christ Jesus were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. This is how Daniel describes the ancient one of Israel in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, and chapter 10, verse 6, referring to God Almighty, whose head and hair were white like wool, and his throne was flaming like fire. It is important to understand here that this reference in Daniel is to God as judge. He's coming to judge His people. Jesus' eyes being like blazing fire is a metaphor for judgment. So as John applies this reference from Daniel to the risen Christ Jesus, we are to understand that Jesus' spiritual presence in the church means that He knows the true spiritual condition of every church. 
He knows the spiritual condition of every church, of every individual in every church, which will result in either blessing or judgment, as we will soon see. The fire, again, is a reminder of the Spirit of Christ who will either refine and sanctify or consume, judge and consume. This is a sober reminder of Matthew 25. When Jesus comes in His glory separating people one from another regarding those who are blessed by the Heavenly Father and those who will be cursed, removed from God's blessing in judgment. The Apostle John continues in verse 15, His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Jesus' feet being like bronze in a uh, glowing in a furnace uh, presents the understanding of purity, not just ceremonial purity. Uh, when you think about the Jews and, and the moral law, they were careful to make sure that they were ceremonially pure. And Jesus would always convict them saying, you're not pure in your hearts. That's where it counts. Being pure in your spirit. And Jesus was that. He was pure in His Spirit. Jesus' righteousness far exceeded their sense of moral purity in that Jesus is pure in His heart. He is pure as the Heavenly Father is pure. He is pure as the Holy Spirit is pure. The three are one in unity with each other. This image also refers to the purifying power of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Jesus made this rather clear in His earthly ministry. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, looking at verses 17 through 26. Luke 5, 17 through 26. This is a familiar story. Some faithful men took uh, their, their brother who was lame on a cot and brought him to Jesus. And as they came up to the house, the house was so filled with people that they couldn't reach Jesus. So they went up to the flat roof and started tearing a hole in it. And as they finally got a hole, tore a hole big enough for, to, to uh, lower their, their friend down to Jesus, they lowered him right in front of Jesus. And verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. That's a, that's a pronouncement of purification. I declare that you are righteous in the sight of God. I think of what Jesus says in John 8, if the Son of God sets you free from the power of sin, beloved, you are free indeed. You are forever free through His power. Verse 21 of Luke 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Neither one of these can be accomplished save through the power of God. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is what's key. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what has, he had been laying on, and went home praising God. 
Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Why did Jesus come into this world? Was it to temporarily restore the infirmities of our flesh? Or was his mission to restore us to God? To purify us of our sins and make us righteous in God's sight? What was his mission? Was it a temporary mission or an eternal mission? It was eternal. To put us in right standing with God forevermore. All the signs that Jesus did point to his power to forgive sin. When he healed the blind, that wasn't just to make that blind man feel better in that now he can see. When he cleansed the lepers, touched them and purified their flesh, it wasn't so that they could simply be accepted to society, in society and, and be part of society again and feel get better in their bodies. It was to point to the greater miracle and the greater work of Christ in that He forgives our sins. How does He do that? He becomes the righteous one of God, the pure one of God, becomes sin for us by offering Himself up on the cross. In the temple, there was a bronze altar upon which sacrifices were offered for sin, and these sacrifices were consumed by fire, representing God's judgment on sin. So think about this. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to take upon himself God's judgment for our sin so that we might be made right in the eyes of God, pure in the sight of God Almighty, only through the blood of Christ Jesus shed for us. So this image is the faithful purifying power of Christ Jesus to cleanse you from all unrighteousness as you confess your sins to him and the exhortation also to forgive others as Christ so has forgiven you. The Apostle John also bears witness then from here on that the voice of the risen Lord Jesus was like the sound of rushing waters. This is how the prophet Ezekiel describes God's own voice in Ezekiel 43, verse 2. So what does this refer to, you ask? Have you ever been in a massive room where there are just hundreds or even thousands of people and they're all talking at the same time? Does it not sound like rushing waters? I had this opportunity a few weeks ago uh, at General Assembly, where we were in this massive room in, a, in, a, in a St. Louis. And there were 15, 1,600 of us there, preachers and, and elders, and we all talk. <laughs> and I, I was just listening. I wasn't talking for once. I was just listening. And as I was listening, you know, everybody was having their conversations whether it was people in their vicinity or people they were familiar with, they all had their own unique conversations going on everywhere. And as, as you just sat, stood back and listened, it literally sounds like rushing water. I was intrigued by that. And this is an image of God as king speaking on behalf of his kingdom. 
and all who are in it. It's not simply the power of God's voice being projected. Uh, There are Bible passages that say when God speaks, the earth melts. The power of his voice is not represented here, but he's representing his people as their king. The seraphim in Isaiah 6 shook the temple with the power of their voice. Rushing waters uh, applies or refers to multiple voices represented in God's own voice. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at a few parallels. Revelation 19.6, where John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. This is a great multitude that sounds like rushing waters. There is also a reference in Revelation 14, verse 2, And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder, the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. These other two passages refer to worship. And the thought here is this. The gospel salvation through Jesus Christ is both preached throughout the world by his apostles and ministers and proclaimed in the church through worship through all his saints. The many voices, or the the rushing water, refers to many voices. It refers to the body of Christ. We know that Christ Jesus is our head. But we are his body, and this union with Christ through the Spirit has has Christ's Spirit speaking through his his preachers and his ministers uh, in in the way of evangelism, in the way of witness, but also being preached through way of worship as we are doing now in God's, in God's house during this worship service. So we have an image of judgment. We have an image of salvation through sacrifice. The proclamation of the great salvation through Jesus Christ, through witness and worship. And finally, the image of Christ Jesus is sovereign over all creation in the heavens and on the earth. Verse 16 says, In his right hand he held seven stars. Seven represents the whole, the cosmos. In the Old Testament, God reminds Job that it is God himself who controls the stars. In Job chapter 38, verse 31. Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The apostle John continues, Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword which refers to the final judgment that will be levied against all who oppose him. There will be more detail on that, of course, as we move through Revelation. The last part of verse 16 described Jesus' face. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. The emphasis here is on the radiance of the sun which bring light and life to this world. That notable uh, pastor of old, C.H. Spurgeon, referred to the Italians regarding this matter. He said uh, they had a phrase, where the sun comes not, the physician will soon come. But where the sun shines, his beams usually bring at least a measure of health to men. So where Jesus is, there the sick revive, for healing is found beneath his wings. Thus the face of Jesus is as, is as the rays of the sun, scattering no malicious vapor, uh, no deadly darts of harmful wrath, but only goodness and love. Oh, Spurgeon says that we would look 
we would all look by faith upon the blessed face uh, of Jesus and receive all the benefits that he is waiting and willing to bestow on us. You know the Old Testament reference for this? Numbers 6, verse 24. You hear it often at the end of the service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you his peace. May you ever know this power of the risen Lord who turns his face toward you, not in judgment, but in love granting you his peace as you look to him in faith. Amen.